Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Rip T, the show where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. This one is called The Prism of Optimism, the Inspiration of Rebbe Akiva. This lecture is from March. We're bringing it back. We're re-recording it because we lost the recording from March. And here it is for you again. So we're just going to include some aspect of March, even though now it's in the summer. Sources are from Safaria, unless noted otherwise. All my shiurim are on shirenjoyment.com slash shiurim slash shiurim dash reb dash t. Shout out to Jake W for all his help from sheer enjoyment. All of our shiurim from the lecture series are now on all podcast forums you can find it on itunes podcasts and google podcasts and all tops types of podcast forums wherever you could find them you want to email me please feel free shoot me an email at rebt at sheer enjoyment.com r-e-b-t at sheer enjoyment.com that's s-h-i-u-r-e-n-g J-O-Y-M-E-N-T dot com. The Sheer is the Eloi Nishmas, my dad, Chaim Yitzchak, Ben Michal Shlomo, and my brother, Menachem Svi Ben Chaim Yitzchak. So what is the idea of optimism or positivity? How would you define such a term and such an attitude? The dictionary defines positivity as the practice of being or tendency to be positive or optimistic in attitude. The dictionary further defines optimism as hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. These terms then really are types of life outlooks, ways to go about your existence on this earth when we think about different characters in history especially jewish history and throughout tanakh we find this element to be prevalent so many people had so much stacked up against them and yet they stood up stayed positive and tackled whatever came their way think about the great sage rabbi akiva one of my heroes one of my role models who led a very difficult life starting with learning Torah at 40 years old through difficulties and then a tragic death at the end of his life and yet he seemed to be the essential optimist always looking for the optimism always looking for the positivity you think about also David HaMelech the great King David also very difficult life had very great difficulties and tragedies yet if you look at Tehillim you could easily see his positivity his hope and his faith in Hashem I want you to think about the idea of the Klosenberg Rabbi, a great, great rabbi in the past century or so, in the past 70 or 80 or so years right after the Holocaust. A very close friend of my wife's great-grandfather and his family. Wikipedia even explains and picks up on the remarkable story of this man. His name was Rabbi Yekusiel Yehuda Halberstam. January 10th, 1905 to June 18th, excuse me, 1994. He was an Orthodox rabbi and the founding rabbi of the Kloisenberg, especially Sans Kloisenberg Hasidic dynasty. This rabbi, the Kloisenberg rabbi, became one of the youngest rabbis in Europe, leading thousands of followers in the town of Kloisenberg, Romania, before World War II. His wife, 11 children, and most of his followers were murdered by the Nazis, Yamach Shimon. What a terrible, terrible tragedy. While well, he was incarcerated in several concentration camps, he literally looked and lived death itself for such a long time. Lo Aleno, he had such terrible things happen to him. 
after the war, he moved to the United States and later to Israel, rebuilt Jewish communal life in the displaced persons camp of Western Europe, reestablished his dynasty in the United States and Israel. I believe in Netanya, he helped found a hospital over there in Netanya, founded a Haredi neighborhood in Israel, and a sons community in the United States, established the hospital in Israel that we were just talking about, run according to Jewish law, and rebuilt his own family with a second marriage and the birth of seven more children and he again was very close with my wife's grand great-grandfather i believe they were best friends my wife's grandfather has a beautiful picture of his father with the Klosenberger. they were very close how is it possible for someone to do this the story and this character this person is remarkable to me what power and self-perseverance and optimism to be able to live through what he did and get up accomplish all that he did and every single survivor every person in the holocaust and throughout history and all the terrible tragedies how did they get up those that survived how were they able to live how are they able to continue would anyone ever have blamed this Klosenberger Rebbe or anyone from the Holocaust or any terrible life travails or periods if they wanted to just lie down and give up would anyone have faulted him for wanting to or these people to want to do so no, very difficult lives, very tragic lives. How do people like this get up and go and even have the ability, dare say, have the courage to be optimistic, to have positivity, to be able to live in such a way? OU.org points out the famous example of how to have that outlook in life. You see this cup. A pessimist looks at a cup that has water that is halfway. The pessimist looks at the glass that's half-filled, the half-filled glass, and bemoans that it is half-empty. Oh, poor me, there is only half a glass. It is very nearly empty. But the optimist looks at the very same glass and rejoices that it is half full. It's all about the outlook. It's all about how you look at the situation. You look at the circumstance in front of you. How are you going to react? There's a stimulus, but you control the response. You cannot control the stimulus. You cannot control what happens to you. Of course, you could choose the sins or the mitzvahs, but things that happen to you in your life are all predetermined, predestined by Hashem. All you can do is control your response. Hashem gives you the stimulus, gives you the pinpointing factor of the beginning aspect, you can control your response. Chabad.org also points out this trait was found within the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Chabad.org points out that the Rebbe was an uncompromising optimist, not because he wasn't a realist or because he was uninformed about all the difficulties of the Jewish people and humankind. The Rebbe was actually one of the best informed people on earth because he had more than 1,000 shlichem couples who were situated literally around the world. He knew from them all the problems and all the issues. He was a realist, but he approached reality from the perspective of optimism. He insisted on using language to express positive thinking and optimism rather than negativism. For example, he never used the traditional Hebrew word for hospital, Beit Cholim, which literally means a house of sick people. He insisted on calling it a Beit Refuah, a house of healing. Just using one word can make all the difference, can change the meaning in the situation of that place. Not Beit Cholim, Beit Refuah, making a positive, optimistic spin on a place that people have to be in anyway because they need to get better. 
Why? Because he wanted the people who were in that hospital to know that they were there to gain greater health and not because they were desperately ill. He wanted to focus their minds on the solution rather than on the problem. When he visited with handicapped soldiers who had been wounded in the wars of Israel, he refused to call them Nechai Tzahal, handicapped, because labeling is wrong. We have to use people first language person first language i talk about this all the time you cannot say it is a wheelchair bound person it is a person who uses a wheelchair don't say that's the down syndrome kid that lives down the block the child that happens to have down syndrome don't say it's the kid that autistic kid is walking and flapping around you say the child that happens to have autism who has different difficulties and different stimming behaviors you have to use person first language oh man that fat guy is walking around my neighborhood again no it's the person that struggles with his weight. It's all about person first. Don't define a person. Don't label a person based on one difficulty they have or based on one thing they fell with. Oh, that's the alcoholic. That's the gambleaholic running around. No, it's a person that's overall a good person, but he struggles with alcohol. He struggles with gambling. He struggles with whatever it is. Everybody has their afflictions, their addictions, their t- difficulties, their tests, the eights of hearts, their pulls in life. But don't define a person by that one thing. Understand they have a whole aspect of them. 99% of them have nothing to do with this, but you're labeling them based on the one thing that you see that there's difficulty that, that happens to be involved in them. Look at the thing that's involved. Don't focus on the negative. Focus on the positive. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe knew this, understood this. He didn't call them handicapped. He used the word mitsuyanim. Exceptional. What a beautiful way, a beautiful spin on the same person that he's looking at. He told them that if a person has been deprived of a limb or a faculty, this itself indicates that Hashem has also given him special powers to overcome the limitations and to surpass in other areas the achievements of ordinary people. You are not disabled or handicapped, but special and unique as you possess potential that the rest of us do not. I believe the Chavitz Chaim would stand up for people with special needs, person first language, not special needs people, people who have special needs because he realized Hashem put special neshamas in these characters, special traits in these characters. They were a special type of a person to house a special neshama and the Chavitz Chaim, I believe it was, was the one that understood this also. When there was a lot of pressure for the Rebbe to finish a project, he never referred to the finishing time as a deadline. He didn't like that word. Why deadline? Instead, he used the word due date. Deadline connotes death, while due date connotes birth. Also, just taking one word, changing the spin on it, changing the aspect of how it feels and how it goes about. The Rebbe never dwelled on the Holocaust. When he occasionally spoke of it, his emphasis was not on the six million martyrs, but on how the survival survivors rebuilt their lives. He turned the preoccupation with the catastrophe into a celebration of achievement. It's so easy to be able to spin things. You just change one word. You change your outlook. You change your mindset. You can become a positive, optimistic person. You have two roads diverge. The famous poem goes that you're looking at the roads and you have two paths to take. One is the pessimistic negative one. Very easy to go down that path. It looks nice. It looks e- It looks like a wonderful path that sees like it has foliage and trees, but the other path looks desolate, looks much more difficult, much more arduous. 
But really, in the end of the day, that's the path that'll get you home faster. It might be less pleasant looking. It might be less aesthetically awesome. But really, that's the path. You have two paths to go down, the negative the pessimistic one, which seems in the short term beautiful, but really, it's much longer way to get home. Then you look at the other path that seems more deserted, more empty, but really, that's the faster path to get home. Because a life filled with optimism, a life filled with positivity is a much more rewarding, much more beneficial, much more beautiful life than the life filled with negativity and pessimism. It's so easy to be cynical. It's so easy in our life nowadays to be negative, so easy to be pessimistic, to spew hatred, to spew vile. Much harder to stand up and to be optimistic, to be positive, to be tolerant and allow an accepting of everyone around us. But that's really the better path, the much more wonderful path to go about. And the Rebbe understood this, the Chavz Chaim understood it, all people understood, many, many, many people understood this, all the great sages really understood this also. And the Rebbe had the great same optimism when it came to religion. When he met a person who said he wasn't religious, he would ask him or her to do a mitzvah, to start lighting candles before Shabbos, or to put on tefillin, or put a mezuzah on his or her home. But he would go further, he would say, are you honest? Do do you give charity? Do you pay your employees on time? These are religious acts too. Why do you focus on what you are not? Hashem loves you for all you are, for the mitzvot you do. And now why not add to those mitzvot? All about the spin, how to look at things. How are these some people, how are there some people who are just so positive and optimistic? Where does such an outlook come from? How could we, each one of us, acquire such a type of worldview? I believe, I think the key is to look at famous characters, famous examples, favorite, famous elements from Tanakh and the Talmud and Jewish life and Jewish history and learn from their life, learn from their views, especially, specifically, the great Rabbi Akiva and his Rebbe, Nacham Ishkamzu. On a personal note, this year originally was done in March. March, for me, is very bittersweet, a very difficult time of the year. It's really the hardest month. It's it's really two-pronged. It's it's two aspects. It's good and it's bad. Both yard sites of my dad and my brother, who we when we dedicated the Shir Le'ilu Nishmas, are both in March. Both passed away in March, many years apart, but both in that same month. Yet also, it's the happiest month of the year. The time when I got married to my beautiful, wonderful, amazing, awesome wife, my Zivug, my other half. So how could the same month have two different approaches? So should I be bitter or should I feel sweet? Should I feel happy or should I feel sad? It's the same month, but it has drastically opposite feelings. I realized after the losses in my own life, there were two roads that diverged, two ways to go down. Should I go down the negative, the pessimistic, the, the very sad and angry path and feel like holding a grudge against Hashem, God forbid, holding a grudge against life, or to go down the path where you could look for the optimism, you could look for the positivity, you look for the happy things in life and the humor in life. Even throughout Shiva, especially for my brother, it was it was hard for me to come to terms with it, but of course, I had to go through different aspects. I still tried to have humor when people came, still tried to go about it in such a way. The same month, same time of year, 
drastically different emotions, drastically different feelings. Do you focus on the negative or do you focus on the positive? Are you happy because of the anniversary, finding the wife, finding the spouse, or focusing on the negative, all that was lost? You could think about your life. You could think about aspects of your life. You could dwell on the negative. You could dwell on the pain. Or you could figure out how to move with the pain. Never move past the pain. The pain never leaves. It just moves with. You have to figure out a way to go with it. The optimistic and positive approach figures how to go through life, how to get through life, focusing on the one wonderful things, focusing on the things in life, understanding that everything comes from Hashem. So we're going to move around through some sources on positivity and optimism like we do in all the lecture series. Then we're going to focus, God willing, on Rabbi Akiva and his teacher, Nachem Ishkamzi, one of my favorite personal heroes from the Talmud. Again, sources are found with the help of safari.org as well as others when noted, especially pointed out. Before we look into the life of Rabbi Akiva and his teacher, let's see a clear example of his outlook. In Marcos 24 talks about Kvar Haya Rabbi Gamli of Rabbi Eliezer ben Azari of Rabbi Yeshua of Rabbi Akiva Mahalchem Baderach Vishamu Kol Hamona Shalromi Mipleta Berachok Mea Veesrmiel Veeschila Bochin VeRabbi Akiva Misachek Amru Lo Mipnei Ma Ata Misachek. So they're walking on the way. They're going on the way. They hear these Romans and they hear loud noises 120 mil away and they begin to cry. But Rabbi Akiva is laughing. They say to him, Why are you? Laughing, Rabbi Akiva. Amr Lahemi says back to them, Why are you crying? Amr they said to him, These people, these Gentiles who bow to false gods and burn incense to idols, dwell securely and tranquilly in this colossal city. And for us, the house of the footstool of Hashem, the temple is burnt. You have to remember the sages lived at the end of the second temple period. They lived when the temple was being destroyed. They saw the destruction. They walked around the ruins, about the ruins of the second temple. How tragic they saw it. And they were devastated of what we lost. But then, Rabbi Akiva said to them, Why are you not crying? He said to them, Rabbi Akiva says back to him, That is why I am laughing. If this is what happens to those who violate his will, the wicked, it is so, and they are rewarded for the few good deeds they are performed. For those who perform his will, all the more so will they be rewarded. You take the same event, you take the same stimulus, you take the same thing in front of you, but you approach it in a different way. You change your mindset, you change your outlook, you change your view on what's happening around you. And then the Gemara goes on and says, Shum achas, shuv pam achat, how you all in the Yerushalayim, they were walking on another occasion, ascending to Yerushalayim, kevan shehegiu, lahar hatsofim, when they came to Mount Scopus and saw the site of the temple, the base of Migdash, Karu Bigdayim, they ripped their garments, they tore Korea, basically what you're supposed to do as a mourner. When you see the temple, you're mourning over the destruction, just as Lo Elena, if someone has a loss in their life, they rip their clothing. So to the loss of the base of Migdash, loss of Hashem's presence in this earth, they ripped their clothing. Kevin Shegiu Lahara Bayis, when they arrived at the actual temple mount, they saw a very famous Pasig. They saw a fox leaving the Holy of Holies, the holiest point of the entire world. The, yom, the 
Kohen Gadol, the only one who was allowed to one time, one day, the entire year to go there. And they see now a fox running around, gallivanting, tramping on the holiest site of the entire world. They began to cry. Rabbi Akiva again, Mitzachek. Rabbi Akiva was laughing. Amrullah, they said to him, the sages said to him, Why are you laughing? Amrullah, he said to him, Why are you crying? Same situation, different responses. Some are crying, but Rabbi Akiva is laughing. Same stimulus, different reaction, different response, different result. Amrullah, they said to him, You must... The Torah says in Bamidbar, the place, Kodesh HaGadashim, a stranger comes and comes close, he will die. No one's allowed to go on the Kodesh HaGadashim except for the Kohen Gadol. Now foxes are walking in the Kodesh HaGadashim when even a, a saintly Jew can't go in unless he's the Kohen Gadol. And now the fox is walking here, we shouldn't weep. Amr Lahem. Rabbi Akiva says to them, Lakach Animitzachik. That is why I am laughing. Because it's written in Yeshayahu. And it says, and I will testify with you, I will take to me faithful witnesses to attest Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachayah that comes from Yeshayah. Why was, what is the connection between Uriah and Zechariah? Why was Uriah and Zechariah put next to each other, put together? We'll tell you why. They were in different time periods. Uriah was during the first temple period, and Zachariah was during the second temple period. So why are they put together? The verse established the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zachariah is dependent on fulfillment of the prophecy of Uriah. Listen to how Rabbi Akiva consoles them, how Rabbi Akiva approaches which is the same stimulus with a different optimistic positive response. But Uriah Ksiv, in Micha, it says by Uriah, Lakan Biglalechem Tzion Sadet Techarash. By Uriah, it says, Therefore, for your sake, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become rubble. The Temple Mount is the high places of a forest, pointed out by Micha. But by Zechariah Ksiv, by Zechariah, it says, Od Yashfu Zikainim Vizikainos Berechovot Yerushalayim. In the prophecy of Zechariah, it says there shall yet be elderly men, an elderly woman sitting in the streets of Jerusalem. So we're talking about the connection here. They're going to be sitting in those streets in, in Zechariah. And Rabbi Akiva goes up and then explains, Ad Excuse me, not Hachiti, Hayisi. Until it was fulfilled, the prophecy of Uriah, Hayisi, Miss Yari, Shalotiskaim, Nevuah, so shall Zachariah. I was worried that the Nevuah, the prophecy of Zachariah, would not be fulfilled. Achshav Shaniskaim, Nevuah, so shall Uriah. Now that I know the, the fulfillment was in Uriah's prophecy, be a Duish, Nevuah, so shall Zachariah, Miss Kayamis. Now I know the nevuah of Zechariah will be fulfilled as way, because I see that it's desolate. I see Yerushalayim will be desolate. Now I know that the the prophecy will become that 
there will be singing and gladness in the streets. Balashna is Amrlo Akiva Necham Tanu Akiva Necham Tanu. In this Lashon, they said, Akiva, you have consoled us. Akiva, you have consoled us. This is the way the Rabbi Akiva would look at different things. He would have such optimism. He would have such ability to bring positivity to the situations around us. And even society, Lahavdil, secular society, can recognize the power of positive thinking. Mar- Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology and the positive psychology movement, explains that pessimists believe their flaws cannot be overcome, whereas optimists are convinced that they can. You have the same obstacle, you have the same flaw. The pessimist doesn't believe it can be overcome, but the optimist is convinced that it can be overcome. Ramir Salvechik points out that Akiva, the word Akiva is an essentially an Aramaic variant of Yaakov or Jacob. Like Akiva, like Rabbi Akiva, the patriarch, the Av the Yaakov is depicted as having a remarkable capacity to persevere, mainly by working for his deceitful uncle, Lavan, for 14 years in order to earn the right to marry his beloved Rachel, excuse me. Moreover, the names Yaakov and Akiva both derive from the word Akiv or heel. As Rabbi Eliyahu Salvechik once pointed out, his father, the heel is the lowest portion of the body. Yet, at the same time, it is the first part of the body used to take a step forward. In other words, it is precisely one's initial downfall that can ultimately emerge as a key to progress. I think about the idea of the Pasuk, Sheva Yipal Tzadik Become. In order to understand the greatness of the tzaddik, you have to understand that he keeps falling and falling again, but it won't keep him down. He gets knocked down, but he won't stay down. He'll get back up again. You can't keep me down. You're never going to keep me down. Lahavdil, lahavdil. The phrase goes from a secular song, lahavdil. But a tzaddik is someone who gets up and gets up and gets up. He doesn't stay down. He doesn't feel beaten. He gets up again and again. Even if he falls and sins again and again, he still gets up and he still keeps on going. The Agadah Pesach points out in Halach Ma'anyam, Halach Ma'anyam di Achlo of Zona Be'arad de Mitzrayim. This is the bread of affliction we ate in Mitzrayim. Kol Dich Anyone who wants who could come and eat it. Kol Dich And everyone who really wants to be a part of us can come join us. Hashda Hacha. Lashana now we're here. Next year will be in Israel. Now we're slaves, slaves to society, slaves to our desires, slaves to our emotions, slaves to time, slaves to things around us. Next year we should be Zochem. Mashiach should be here. The base maker should be here, and we shouldn't be slaves to anything but to the ability to serve Hashem without any strings or anything pulling us around us. And we have to understand keeping an optimistic feeling also. David HaMelech talks about in Tehillim, Ivdu et Hashem besimcha, fun of Bernana. Worship Hashem in gladness. Come to His presence with shouts of joy. We have to not just understand optimism and positive. We have to fill ourselves with joy. Fill ourselves with happiness. Understanding Hashem gives us another day. Hashem gives us another moment. Gives us another life and breath in our lives every day, hopefully 120 years, to do great things in the world. Rebbe 
Sachs. Rabbi Sachs explains in The Dignity of Difference, one of the most important distinctions I've learned in the course of reflection on Jewish history is the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is the belief that things will get better. Hope is the belief that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. So optimism is amazing. Positivity is wonderful. But it's a passive one that can wash over us. It could be gone. We have to act on it. Have the hope. Take the hope. Work with it do something with it in order to move forward we don't want to be passive we want to be active we have to have the hope and put it into fruition that's the active it takes no courage rabbi Sachs explains to be an optimist but it takes a great deal of courage to have hope and to use hope knowing what we do of our past no jew can be an optimist but jews have never despite a history of sometimes awesome suffering given up hope because we are activists we're people that take our situation take our surroundings and work with it and try to move with it and try to accomplish great things with it as much as we can taylor points out how we look at the idea we look at our surroundings but we hope for the future every shabbos we say shira miles b'shuva shema shiva a song of a sense when Hashem restores the fortunes of Zion, we see it as in a dream. We hope to have wonderful things. Our mouths will be filled with laughter. We hope and we pray. We're optimistic it'll happen with joy and songs. They shall say among the, the nations, Hashem has done great things for them. Not just for us. Hashem will do great things for us. We shall rejoice. Restore our fortunes, Hashem, like the watercourses in the Negev. They who sow in tears shall reap with songs of joy. Those who go weeping, carrying the sea bag, shall come back with songs of joy, carrying his sheaves. This is talking about in Bavel how they're hoping for the future hoping for Mashiach to come and for the wonderful aspects to come back to Israel. And we hope and pray every day that this will come. We have the optimism, the positivity to think this way. But not only that, we have to put the hope into an activist aspect. We have Israel Baruch Hashem. We were blessed with getting the land back in 48. What are we doing about it? How are we establishing ourselves with the hope? What are we accomplishing with that hope. Are we going to live there? Are we going to visit there? Are we keeping it in our mind as much as possible? Are we planning to live there as soon as we can? That is taking the hope and being active with it. Sefer Chinuch points out, everyone has to understand and be under, understanding for lack of another better word, being redundant, that everything comes from Hashem. Everything that happens to Him, good and bad, it all comes from Hashem. For anything that happens in our life that we think happens from a person, that person is just the stick. Anything that hurts a person from another person, any pain, really doesn't come from the person. It all comes from Hashem. But Hashem is not a bad being, we should never think of such things. Hashem is all good. Hashem is only good. Anything that comes to us that seems evil, that seems sinful, it's not that it is evil. It is just that Hashem is bringing something to us and we have to understand why. It, Hashem is not the cause of his evil, but a person's sin could be the cause. Like David has said, leave him to curse since the Lord had told him so. Shimi ben Gera cursed David, but it was Hashem sending Shimi to do so because obviously there was a message for David to learn. There's a great benefit to understand that anything that happens in your life comes from Hashem. Don't blame it on the messenger. Don't blame the stick. If if someone 
makes a stick and hits you with a stick, do you blame the stick or do you blame the person? Lahavdo, not blaming Hashem, but if there's a stick being thrown at you, understand it's coming from Hashem. Hashem is trying to teach you something. Hashem is trying to show you something. Rambam points out Maimonides in the Guide for the Perplexed. Wrong cannot be ascribed to God in any way whatsoever. All evils and afflictions, as well as kinds of happiness of man, whether it's a person or the community, they are distributed according to justice. They're a result of strict judgment having that admits no wrong whatsoever. Even when a person suffers pain in consequence of a thorn having entered his hand, although it is at once drawn out, it is a punishment that has been inflicted on him for sin. The least pleasure he enjoys is a reward for some good action. It's meted out by strict justice. We have to understand it comes from Hashem. We might not know why, but it does come from Hashem. And anything that comes from Hashem can only be good. The Talmud points out in Brachos, in 60, Brachos 60b, what does it mean? One is obligated to recite a blessing for the bad that befalls him, just as he recites for a blessing for the good. We should only know good things. Why? What does it mean? He's obligated to bless on the bad, just like he would for the good. So if you say this is so, just like he blesses for good things, he who bestows goodness, we should also bless for bad things. So what does it mean here? So what it means to say is that we learn that you have to say different things. So for something sad, something bad, we say Baruch Dayan Emes blesses the true judge because we know that Hashem only does good, but we don't understand it. So we just say blesses the, the true judge. And it's talking about, Rava explains, So we say, blesses the true judge. Rava's explaining that the Mishnah is telling us, instructing us to accept bad tidings with the same joy with which we accept good tidings, not to instruct with regards to which blessings recite, but understanding that we have to accept everything that comes to us with Simcha, joy and happiness as much as we can, because we have to be positive and optimistic about everything in life and be optimistic that whatever Hashem sends to us is for our best, is for a good reason, is to help us and to change our life, hopefully in an aspect that will lead us to further serving Hashem in the best way possible. The Talmud also brought points out in Brachos and 60, Called the Avid Rachmana Latav Avid. Rav Huna said that Rav said that Rabbi Meir said it was taught on a price in the name of Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, the eternal optimist and the positive spinning person. One must always accustom oneself to say everything that Hashem does, he does for the best. And the Ben Yehoyada points out. The idea is, if you think about the gematria of the word simcha, you get 520, which is the same gematria as true judge. This hints to the idea that one must bless the true judge happily. That's why the Talmud later says in Elohim we praise. It's the trait of catastrophe. The word Elohim has five letters. The Hebrew word chamisha, five, is an anagram for simcha, happiness. We take everything that happens to us, try to spin it, and understand that it's really for the best. It all comes from Hashem, all for the Good. Chabad.org points out Nacham Ishkamzu. We're going to focus on now as Rabbi Akiva's Rebbe for 22 years. Why is he called this name? Because he always said the expression Gamzu Litova. Nacham Ishkamzu, the man who said good. This is also for the good, he would always say. Ishkamzu, the man who would say 
This is also good. His student Rabbi Akiva would also say, all that Hashem does is for the good. Called the Avid Rahman Latov Avid. All that Hashem does is for the good. And he was called by the title Ish Gamzu, because whenever anything unpleasant happened to him, he would say, Gamzu Latovam. And the Gemara in Chagiga explains, Rabbi Shmuel answered Rabbi Akiva a question where they're walking along the way. We see the relation of the two of them together, how they're connected. This Gemara explains, Rabbi Kiva served Nachamish Gamzu for 22 years. He would expound, learn every appearance of the word S in the Torahs to teach something. What would he say, the heavens and the earth? He said to him, these words were expounded that Hashem created Shemaim V'aretz, the heaven and the earth. Shemaim is the name of Hashem. He goes V'aretz, and he goes on to say at Shemaim V'aretz that the objects in the Shemaim, the actual heaven and the earth is the actual earth. But the point of this Gemara is explaining how Rabbi Kiva served Nachamish Gamzu for 22 years. They were very connected, and you learn from your teacher. Your teacher says everything for the best, you're also going to say everything for the best, because more than what you hear is how they live, and he saw Nachamish Gamzu had a very hard life, very difficult life, but he still said everything was the best. His action shows that he's positive and optimistic, so to Rabbi Kiva ingrains it in his personality to be the eternal optimist and the positive one. The Brachos points out on 22, Another connection of the Two. In the story talking about the Balkari, Nacham Ishkamzu whispers it to Rabbi Kiva, whispers it to Ben Azai. Obviously, they were connected, rabbi and students. So let's see the actual story of Nacham Ishkamzu from Tanis 21a. The Gemara relates a story about a rundown building. They said about Nacham Ishkamzu, he was blind in both eyes, both his arms were amputated, both his legs were amputated, his entire body was covered in boils, and he was lying in a dilapidated house, and the legs of his bed were placed in buckets of water so that ants should not climb his, on his legs and not climb onto him as he was unable to keep them off in any other matter. Can you imagine the pain, the difficulty in life? Can you imagine how easy it would be? Nobody would fault him for wanting to give up and having to get rid of such a terrible existence. He said, to, but he didn't do that, of course. He said to them, my sons, remove the vessels first. Afterwards, remove my bed. I can guarantee you that as long as I am in the house, the house will not fall. Indeed, they removed the vessels. Afterwards, they removed his bed. Immediately, the house collapsed. The student said to him, Rabbi, you're evidently a holy, righteous man. We have seen you were in the house and it didn't fall. Once you left, the house fell. Why has this suffering befallen you? He said to them, my sons, I brought it upon myself. Nachamish Gamzu related to them the following. I was once traveling along the road to my father-in-law's house. I had with me a load distributed among three donkeys, one of food, one of drink, and one of delicacies. A poor person came and stood before me in the road saying, My rabbi, sustain me. I said to him, Wait until I unload the donkey, after which I'll give you something to eat. However, I had not managed to unload the donkey before his soul left his body. Rahman al-Latzan, we should never know from such things. So I went and I fell upon his face and said, May my my eyes, which had no compassion on your eyes, be blinded. May my hands, which had no compassion on your hands, be amputated. May my legs, which had no compassion on your legs, be amputated. May my mind did not rest until may my whole body be covered in boils. Nachamishkamzu prayed that his suffering might atone for his failure. Can you imagine the level of this person that he felt so bad about this poor person that he asked to be 
given such yesurin, such difficulties, Nachamish Gamzu prayed for the suffering to atone for his failure. Students said to him, even so, woe to us that we have seen you in such a state. He said to them, woe to to me if you had not seen me in this state as the suffering atones for me. Very high level of this great sage. Of course, we're not expected to be on such a high level, but we have to try our hardest to be as optimistic and positive as we can, understanding everything comes from Hashem and looking at life in a better way, having hope and taking it with us. So why did they call him Nachamishkam? So the Gemara goes on. The reason is that with regard to any matter that occurred to him, he would say, this too is for the good, Gamzu Litzova. Once the Jews wished to send a gift, Daron, to the house of the emperor, they said, who should go and present the gift? Let Nachamishkamzu go, as he is accustomed to miracles. They sent him with a chest, sifta full of jewels and pearls. He went and spent the night in a certain inn. During the night, the residents of the inn arose and took all of the precious jewels and pearls from the chest and filled it with earth. The next day, when he saw what happened, Nachamishkamzu said, this too is for the good. He was going to the emperor. He was supposed to be going with precious gifts, and now he had nothing left. How could he show up with nothing? He was Easily he could have got dejected. Easily he could have given up and walked home and tried to run away. But that is not what this great sage did. He said this is too for the good. And he was going to go anyway. When he arrived there at the ruler's palace, they opened the chest and saw that it was filled with earth. The king wished to put all the Jewish emissaries to death. He said the Jews are mocking me. Nachemishkamzu said this too is still for the good. Can you imagine pushed to such a point and he still says this is for the good. Eliyahu Navi, one of my favorite characters in Tanakh, comes and appeared before the ruler as one of his ministers. He said to the ruler, perhaps this earth is from the earth of their father Abraham. Eliyahu is stepping in to save the Jews. Very famous character when it comes to alacrity and zeal for the Jewish people. We have a whole lecture on that. Feel free to find that. As when he threw the earth in the times of Abraham, it turned into swords. Everybody knew how great Avram Avinu was. Also a wonderful character, one of my favorites in Tanakh as well. And when he threw stubble, it turned into arrows, as is written in a prophecy that sages interpreted this verse as a reference to Avram. His sword makes them as the dust, his bow as the driven stubble, pointed out by Yeshaya. There was one province that the Romans were unable to conquer. They took some of this earth, tested it by throwing it at their enemies, and conquered that province. When the rulers saw that this earth indeed had miraculous powers, his servants entered his treasury and filled Nacham Ishgamzu's chest with precious jewels and pearls and sent him off with great honor. This is a sage living with Gamzu Latova, living with optimism, positivity, living with the idea, even if Hashem is challenging me, even if Hashem is sending things to me, I understand it's all for the best. I take my life situation, I run with it, I try to make the best of it, and I look at it from the optimist view, I look at it from the hopeful view, moving forward, trying to do my life in a way that I could approach it in a happier manner in a more positive manner he had all the reasons to give up but he didn't and he understood it all came from Hashem had the optimism the positive and the hope understanding that Hashem will still help him Hashem will come through so that's Nachamish Gamze the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva now let's look at Rabbi Akiva himself you remember the story of how Rabbi Akiva started in Avast Rabbeinu Nassan 6-2. Rabbi Akiva's beginnings, what were his beginnings? It is said up until the age of 40, he had not yet studied a thing. One time while standing by the mouth of a well in Lida, he acquired, he inquired, who hollowed out this stone? He was told, Akiva, haven't you read that water wears away stone from Eov? If it was water falling upon it constantly day after day. At that, Rabbi Akiva asked, is my mind harder than this stone? Is my heart harder than this stone? I will go and study at least one section of Torah. Torah can bring it 
Torah is like fire, Torah is like water, Torah can melt all these things easily. And of course, you know, Rabbi Kiva started with the kindergarten and worked his way from the Aleph base and then, and then all the way up to Mishnahis. And Gemara became one of the greatest sages in our history. You know, Kabbalah Savu, his father-in-law, did not want him to be his son-in-law. Interestingly enough, but Rachel, Rabbi Kiva's wife, saw the potential, understood the potential, married him anyway. And they were dirt poor. Eliyahu Navi once appeared to them at the door, the Gemara relates, and they and he had nothing. He had literally nothing, but he still gave Eliyahu straw because he knew Eliyahu needed it. And we're going to look at that in one second. We're going to see that story in a second. And of course, Rabbi Kiva goes on to study for 24 years. After 12 years, he hears his wife talking to someone, explaining that if he knew it was good for him, he'd go back and study even more. And he did that. Then he came back, and at the end of his life, at, excuse me, at the end of the years when his wife comes to him, they all want to throw him away, and they want to push his wife away. And he said, everything we have is because of you. He understood where things come from, and he understood the positivity and the optimism involved. But look at this Gemara here in the Dharam. In the winter, they would sleep in a storehouse of straw, what we were just mentioning before. Rabbi Akiva would gather strands of straw from his wife's hair. He said to her, If I had the means, I would place on your head a Jerusalem of gold, a type of crown. Eliyahu the prophet came and appeared to them as a regular person, started calling and knocking on the door. He said to them, Give me a bit of straw as my wife gave birth, and I do not have anything on which to lay her. Rabbi Akiva said to his wife, See this man who does not even have straw. We should be happy with our lot as as we at least have straw to sleep on. Can you imagine? Rabbi Akiva looks, they have nothing, only straw. But they realize comparatively there is someone who has even less than them. And he's happy with what he has. He's positive about their situation. He's optimistic about their situation. He's hopeful for the future. Maybe one day I could get you this wonderful Jerusalem of gold. And by the way, addendum to the story, he does get her that beautiful attar of gold of Yerushalayim which he said he would get to her. When Kabbalah Savul realizes how great a sage he is, he gives him all his money. Rabbi Kiva becomes very wealthy, very wealthy, and, be, and is the leading sage, of course, and then he gets the crown for her. Of course, also Rabbi Kiva, I didn't include this in the source, I believe, but Rabbi Kiva loses 24,000 students. Do you think he gave up after he lost those students? He could have easily given up, but he decided to start over again. He found for himself five students to continue the tradition. Because after losing 24,000 students, who was left to teach Torah to? And it was really against the policy of the Romans to teach Torah. He did it anyway, and he was taken out to be killed because of the terrible sin of teaching Torah in public. And we're going to look at that source also. But Rabbi Kiva started again after losing 24,000 students. It would have been so easy to give up. It would have been so easy to lay down and say, this is it, this is enough. I had too much. I can't do this. But we're going to start again. And again, this story, we actually did include it here. I realize I have it on the sheet here. We're going to share it with you. We're going to talk about the idea in Yevamos over here. Rabbi Kiva says the verse is understood as follows. One studied Torah in his youth, he should study more Torah in his old age. If he had students in his youth, he should have additional students in his old age as it is stated in the morning, sow your seed. They said, by the way of example, that Rabbi Kiva had 12,000 pairs of students in an area of land that stretched from Givat to Antipatris in Judea. They all died in one period of time because they did not not treat each other with respect. Very important to treat each other with respect. That's the whole lesson of Sphere Omer. One of the lessons from Pesach to Shavuos. After 33 days, they finally stopped dying. And of course, Rabbi Kiva, what was Rabbi Kiva going to do? So he gets up and 
starts again, of course. Again, I apologize. I thought I didn't put the source down, but the source is here. That's why we're going to read it for you, read it together with you. So they all died because of not treating each other with respect. The world was desolate of Torah, Gemara and Yevamo 62 explains, until Rabbi Kiva came to our rabbis in the south, taught his Torah to them. This second group of disciples was literally five rabbis. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Elezer ben Shamua. These are the very ones who upheld the study of Torah at that time. Although Rabbi Akiva's earlier students did not survive, his later disciples were able to transmit the Torah to future generations. It would have been so easy to lay down and give up. It would have been so easy to stop and just not want to go any further. It would have been so easy to say, enough already, I can't do this. I lost 24,000 students. You know how big a loss that is? But Rabbi Kiva was not to be thrown down. Rabbi Kiva would not lay down. Rabbi Kiva would not stay knocked down. He got up and he started again with five students, which is a fraction, tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of how many students he had before. But he said, I'm going to start again. I'm going to be hopeful that these five students will last, will survive and transmit Torah. I'm going to be optimistic and positive that I can make a difference with these students, can carry the Torah through with these students, even though I lost so many. And the Gemara explains in Brachos 60, also, I'm going to repeat this source again, because it's so important, a person should always be accustomed to saying, everything Hashem does, is for the best. Such an important source. We're going to say it again. One must always accustom himself to say everything that Hashem does, He does for the best. Like a very famous story. I love this story from the Gemara as well. Rabbi Akiva was walking on the road. He came to a certain city. He inquired about lodging. They did not give him any. A real lesson in Someone needs a place to stay. Someone needs something. Give it to him. No questions asked. That's real chesed. But here... For the purposes of the story, he wasn't going to get lodging. He wasn't supposed to get lodging, but in general, we should always give lodging. Anyway, he has no lodging given to him. Amar, he says, Everything done is done for the best. Everything Hashem does is for the best. Azal, Ubas Bidavra. He goes and he sleeps in a field. The great Rabbi Akiva has to go sleep in a field. Can you imagine the embarrassment for the, for this great sage? But of course, he takes everything in stride. With him, he had a rooster, a donkey, and a candle. A gust of wind came and extinguished the candle. A cat came and ate the rooster. A lion came and ate the donkey. Amar Rabbi Akiva again said, Everything that Hashem does, He does for the best. That night an army came and took the city into captivity. Amr Lahu, he said to them, it turns out that Rabbi Akiva was not in the city. He was alone and had no lit candle, no noisy rooster or donkey to give away his location, and he was saved. Amr Lahu called Masha. 
He said to them, didn't I tell you? Everything that Hashem does, He does for the best. Fascinating story. An ordinary person, a regular person, all of us would probably be very angry. Why did I lose my candle? Why did I lose my donkey? Why did I lose my rooster? Why did nobody put me up for the night? But if you would have understood the end of the story first, you would have realized everything is for the best. Hashem is saving your life. But each point along, Rabbi Akiva had such faith in Hashem, such understanding of Hashem, such positivity and optimism and hope, understanding, knowing Hashem knows what He's doing. And he realized Hashem literally saved his life by taking away those things that he had with him on the journey. Bracha 61 also explains Rabbi Akiva, Omer b'chol nafshecha, afilo notel es nafshecha. Rabbi Akiva says you have to love Hashem with your whole life with all your life this means even to take your own life and this is the very famous story that we're going to end with the rabbis taught on the Bible, so once upon a time, the evil empire, the Romans, decreed that the Jews could not deal with studying Torah, especially in public. King Papus, the son of Yehuda, found Rabbi Akiva, who was gathering large groups in public and learning Torah. He asks him, Rabbi Akiva, are you not scared of the government? Rabbi Akiva talks now, he says, we, we need to sit and learn Torah. We have to do Torah. I cannot give in to the decree. If I give in to the decree, who's going to teach Torah? Who's going to have people learn Torah from? Who's going to hear about the Torah? I need to continue learning Torah. We are sitting and learning Torah because that is what our days are supposed to be apart. For Torah is your life and a way to live a long time. Therefore, if we veer away and stop learning Torah, even more so, we will die. Amru, they said, It was said there was only a few days until they caught Rabbi Akiva ta- ta- learning Torah, teaching Torah, the great crime, sarcastically saying both times, that time and this time, and tied him up in jail. They caught Papas the son of Yehuda and tied him up. And he said, He said to him, Who brought you here? And he said to him, Praiseworthy are you, Rabbi Kiva, that you were caught on matters of Torah. And woe to me, woe to Papas, who was caught for silly matters. And look at this, even at the end of his life, the last aspect of his life, Look what Rabbi Akiva does. Rabbi Akiva Lahariga Zman When the time came for them to take Rabbi Akiva to be killed, it was the time of reading the Shema. When they were brushing his flesh with metal combs, side point, a very excruciating death. I can only Lowell, we should never understand or need to understand such atrocities, but a very, very difficult, painful, 
torturous, excruciating death, and Rabbi Kiva had the presence of mind to do the following. They were using metal combs, combing his flesh a disgusting way, a horrific way to kill the great sage Rabbi Akiva. When they were doing this to his body, his soul was so much higher than any of them, all of them combined. He was accepting upon himself the yoke of heaven. Amr Talmud of his students said to him, Rabbeinu Ad Khan, he said to him, a rabbi, until here, so much, you're still accepting so much from Hashem with such love, you're still doing missiles to your last breath. Amr Lahem, he said to them, my whole life, I was pained over this pasik. How could I do it? My whole life, I was I was felt bad about this verse with all your life, even to take your own soul. I said, when will I have a chance to fulfill the words of the verse? Now, so my whole life I wondered how I would do this. Now that it came to my hand, I will not fulfill this verse. He extended the word one until his soul left his body. Such a holy person, such a pure person. The last thing he did in this world was be Mekabal Omal Choshemayim. Yotzasabaskov Amram. A heavenly voice came out and said, Ashracha Rabbi Akiva Sheyatsa Be'echad. Praiseworthy are you, Rabbi Akiva, that your soul left your body at one. What an amazing character. What an amazing person to be able to persevere, have such hope, such optimism, positivity at the last aspect of his life, but throughout his whole life, walking among the base of Migdash, losing so many students, living in abject poverty, dying al Kiddush Hashem, so many stories and walking in the forest, losing everything he had with him, always maintaining that everything Hashem does is for the best, always being positive, always being optimistic. We think about Rabbi Kiva, we think about David Melch, we think about the Kloisenberger Rebbe, we think about the Labavitcher Rebbe, we think about all the characters throughout Tanakh, we think about these these stories of Nachamish Gamzun, Rabbi Akiva, figuring out a way to be optimistic, thinking about a way to be optimistic, and realizing that our whole life is supposed to be op- optimistic. We're supposed to be optimistic. David teaches us we're always supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be involved in maintaining a positive attitude, an optimistic approach. Again, the stimulus comes to you. Many of us can have the same stimulus, but many, very few of us can have different responses. Responses. It's very easy to take the path. Again, the two roads diverge. It's very easy to take the beautiful path, the path that looks so flourishing, so full of flowers, and it seems it'll be a beautiful path, an enjoyable path. And it's hard to take the path that looks desolate, that looks deserted, that looks not fancy and not aesthetically pleasing. But if you understood, if you realized the non-aesthetically pleasing path was ten times faster than the beautiful path, which path would you take? The path in your life, the choices in your life to be negative or cynical, that's really easy to take. Who doesn't want to walk down the garden path, the path that looks beautiful, the path that looks wonderful and inviting? But the other path is not the path, it's the road less traveled, Lahavdal using the term of the, the famous poet. You take the road less traveled, many of us are so cynical, are so pessimistic, are so negative in our own lives, it's so easy. Nowadays, with so many vicious 
social media platforms, such cyberbullying out there, such anti-Semitism out there. It's so easy to be cynical and pessimistic, the, especially living in COVID times and in very difficult pandemic times. It's so easy to be sad and negative and angry at Hashem and angry at the world. When is the world going to go back to quote-unquote normal? Maybe this is what Hashem brought us to be the new normal. This is what Hashem wants from us. Maybe Hashem wanted us all to be at home. We were out of our homes too much. We were apart from our spouses too much. We were apart from our kids too much. We spent too much time at work, quote-unquote, thinking we needed to get work done. But that's not what Hashem wants from us. Maybe Hashem wants from us to be home, forcing us to be home, closing everything around us, destroying the whole industries of of heaviness, of entertainment, of sports, because that's a waste of time. That's not the real things, they're not the real aspects. What are we supposed to learn from these things? Uh, the aspect of positivity and optimism especially should be related to our own lives, our own circumstances, our own occurrences in our own current times. What do we learn from this pandemic? If the pandemic ended tomorrow and it was five months or so that we were stranded in this situation, what would you learn? What can you take out of it? What can you take from it? What can you accomplish from it? So my wife and I talk about this all the time. We realize what we're supposed to learn is the value and the beauty of being with each other, spending time with ourselves, with our spouses, with our kids, being at home and learning with our kids and playing with our kids and enjoying our kids, enjoying our houses, however big or small they are, enjoying our spouses and ourselves. I said to many people throughout this whole situation, I tried to split up my day into thirds, especially when I was remote working now in the summer, quote unquote vacation would try to split the day into thirds. I worked for a third of the day, spent time with the kids for a third of the day, and spent time with my wife for a third of the day. Nighttime, daytime, whether we watch a show or a movie or the like, not advocating for what you should do for yourself, but but everyone needs to unwind, everyone needs to relax, especially if it's in a, a nice, healthy, kosher manner. But we need to have time for each other. We need to look at things, find positive spins on things. And thanks to COVID, we should never need such things. But I found this wonderful way to try to do things. Thanks to Hashem, Hashem opened my eyes to the idea of the lecture series, which was born during crazy COVID times, taking and tackling a topic per session with some practical lessons with these wonderful sources from Safarium. What did you do? What did you learn from, from this situation, from this session? We spent lots and lots of money finding different things for our backyard, turning our backyard into a camp, turning our house into a camp, finding a trampoline, finding a swing set, and, and, uh, uh, mini pools and a canopy and water guns just trying to make things feel more normal for kids. As long as you're happy, you're safe, you feel healthy, and you feel positive and optimistic, your kids feed off that, your kids learn off that. If they see you interacting with your wife, they see you interacting, trying to be as normal as possible, as happy as normal, as optimistic and positive as normal, that's what they learn from. And it all comes from you, how you respond to the stimulus, how you understand and react to whatever stimulus you're given. Because everyone can have different responses, but you can control your own response. You could be Rabbi Akiva Lahavdil, and we should be Zoha to try to emulate him in a tiny aspect. You could be standing with your friends on the same temple mount. You could be laughing while they could be crying. You can understand that there are such great things that you could learn from things. Your response is up to you. How you react is up to you. You take the positive, you take the optimistic, you take the hope, or you throw it out the window and you become cynical and negative. Very easy to do that, but that's not the right path to go down. You got to be optimistic. You got to be positive. And as Rabbi Sachs teaches us, it's not just about being positive and optimistic. It's about having hope, taking hope, and building with the hope. Don't be someone who's passive in our lives, someone who's optimistic and hopes for something and, and thinks about something to come in a passive way. You have to be active about it. You have to think about it. You have to prepare for it. 
If we're stuck in COVID times, we prepare for it. We buy things for our kids. We set up things for ourselves and for our kids to have a normal as possible life, to have a happy, optimistic, positive life. But we also have to actively engage, thinking about how we can get back to our land where we're supposed to be as soon as we can be, as as hopeful as we can be to get there. We have to plan for things, actively work on ourselves, finding our missions, finding our purpose in this world as much as possible with using optimism and positive and hope as much as possible. Thank you for joining me here on the lecture series with Reb. Usually we do this in the bi-weekly format. All of our shirim are at shirimdroman.com slash shirim slash shirim dash reb dash t and also on all podcast forums. You can just type in the lecture series with Reb T. Join us next time here on the lecture series with Reb T and I'm your host, Reb T.